This is the Wrestling Outsiders Podcast. Here are your hosts. Here are your hosts. Here are your Emerson Whitner. Emerson. Oh yeah! Yes! 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 And Brian Whitney. Oh, how much does that guy weigh? Welcome to yet another brand new edition of the Wrestling Outsiders Podcast. My name is Emerson Whitner. First of all, a great big happy Thanksgiving to all of our American listeners. Um, tonight is, of course, our 99th episode. Next week, it is our 100th episode. Check out uh, my social media, my Twitter at the Really Real EW. Or check me out on Facebook, because that's where the news of the 100th episode is going to break next Wednesday. Check us out. And uh, in just a minute here, I'm going to bring Dave Meltzer onto the line for an interview with him that uh, was recorded last week. Um, But other than that, uh, like I said again, check us out next Wednesday night for the 100th episode. And with that out of the way... Uh, let's go now to a uh, interview with Dave. And welcome back to the Wrestling Outsiders podcast. We have on the phone with us tonight the editor and publisher of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, Mr. Dave Meltzer is here with us. And Dave, how are things going tonight? They're fine. They're good. There's a million things going on right now. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Like it's a busy week with uh, TNA and Raw. This was, this was a busy one, yeah. Yeah. But knock on wood, it's over, and on to next week. Um, yeah, well, there's a lot of stuff this weekend, too, but, uh, yeah, and still <laughs> things, there's a lot of things going on. Now, this is going to air after the Survivor Series, but I'm still convinced that Dean Ambrose is going to learn the sharpshooter before the pay-per-view on Sunday. We'll see. <laughs> um, so, I want to kick things off, uh, what, what are your first memories of watching wrestling? memories of watching wrestling um it would have been um you know watching uh the cow you know big time wrestling from san Francisco, from actually sacramento was where they were taping tv but the mm-hmm. uh, local wrestling in the 70s uh with uh pat patterson and ray stevens and superstar billy graham and rocky johnson and those type of people um all of my friends were wrestling fans before I was, and they would always talk about it. And the deal in our neighborhood was is we all played baseball on the street um, until like 4.30. And 4.30, we rushed home, and we watched the end of uh, bowling on ABC, and then at 5, we watched wrestling. It was, which was one hour a week from 5 to 6. And very quickly, you know, we were going to the matches in San Jose all the time. 
time and Cow Palace. And so that was the first my first wrestling experiences. I had to laugh because my grandmother used to watch that bowling on ABC every week until like the late 90s, I think is when they stopped that. Wow. Yeah. I only think of, I watched bowling for a couple of years. When they switched the time of wrestling, where it wasn't right before, um, where it wasn't where bowling wasn't right before it, um, I kind of just stopped watching bowling. But um, yeah, for a couple of years, we were, we we all watched we all watched the Pro Bowlers Tour. So that was that was just the deal. Uh, um, now, who were your favorite wrestlers growing up? Um, I guess Pat Patterson was mm-hmm. probably um, you know my favorite. Pat Patterson and Billy Graham were probably my favorites. Cool. Um, and from there, I know you started at a very early age, but when did you begin writing about wrestling? Um, right away, like immediately, because oh. I was writing about baseball for years. I, I couldn't tell you when, but my cousin tells me from the age of three. I, I don't remember back that far. Wow. That's what I was told. But um, I um, but I was, I was writing about baseball and writing about football and basketball. I was a big fan of all those before, long before wrestling. And when I started watching wrestling, I just wanted to, you know, learn as much as I could, like I did on the other sports, because I knew nothing about it. Mm-hmm. So I just started studying it, and then um, I just uh, actually I, I I got a newsletter from Mike Tenay, and I go I can do this. So I started doing a wrestling newsletter, and that's what happened. Um, now speaking of that, uh, when did the Observer go from just a hobby they did every couple weeks or once a month into something that you realized? This is what you wanted to do. This is what you can make a living off of and could make money doing it. Um, I think that what happened was I was doing it and I was spending tons and tons of time on it. Mm-hmm. And in, I'm thinking, 86, 87, it was like I had to make a choice because I was getting no sleep. So I wrote a book. Uh, the Who's Who in Wrestling book, and it was kind of like if this thing, if this thing works, then I'm going re- to wrestling, and if it doesn't work, I'm staying in in as a sports writer. And it worked, so I went to wrestling. So that's what happened. Um, who did you write for when you were a sports writer? Uh, just local newspapers. I was wrote for the Oakland Tribune. Um, I wrote which part time. It wasn't full time. Mm-hmm. And then I was working for the Turlock. I worked, worked for the Wichita Falls, Texas paper, mm-hmm. which is why I was in Texas when the Von Erics were really hot. And then um, I was working for the Turlock Journal at the time that I made the call. And then at that call, you know, I just quit the Turlock Journal, which mm-hmm. everybody thought I was stupid for doing. And I just said, look, can't do both. It's going to be either the Wrestling Observer or the Turlock Journal. And the Turlock Journal paid didn't pay well, but it paid better. Mm-hmm. But I just said, I'm going with the Wrestling Observer because that's the one with the most potential. So that's what... Uh, you know, that's what happened. And I guess if all else failed, you could have always gone back to writing for them or, you know, enough. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, could have, I could have gotten a job with a newspaper, I think, pretty easily. I was I was pretty good at it, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I, I there were a lot of places I probably could have gone. So, so um, yeah, I, I it, it wasn't like I never worried that I couldn't go back at all. But mm-hmm. it was just like, you know, if this thing is going to go, it's going to go. And... I, I didn't really expect it to be as big as it turned out to be, but I knew it had the potential to be as big as it turned out to be. So, um, but I didn't expect it. Mm-hmm. Um, how difficult was it to get your sources to open up to you at first? Uh, that's a weird one. Not as difficult as people think, mm-hmm. uh, because 
there was no other option and the wrestlers were very manipulated by promoters and a lot of them were not as stupid as the promoters thought and, and realized that having knowledge of what was going on was a good thing, not a bad thing. Some of them didn't understand it, but a lot of them did. So it was it was far less difficult than people think. Hmm. Yeah, because I'd figure, you know, trying to call someone and go, hey, this is so-and-so, um, how's things? They, they, they all came to me at first, believe it or not. Oh, wow. I never went to anyone hmm. at the beginning. Everyone, everyone came to me because you got to remember that, like, um, very, very quickly, everybody subscribed. I mean, Vince McMahon, Crockett, um, Eddie Graham, um, Watts. I mean, you know, everybody was getting it, so it wasn't, um, you know, and a lot of the other wrestlers were getting it, so it wasn't, um, um, you know, it, it, it wasn't, you know, and, and I, I knew people pretty quick from very early on, you know, a lot of wrestlers in a lot of places. So it, it really was, so once you're getting that kind of information, you had a place that, that, that had a lot of information, it's really very valuable to the to the wrestlers at the time because, you know, it helped them know, you know, again, you know, because guys in that era, they would spend like six months to a year in a place and they have to go to a new place. And so it was very important for them to know who's doing business and who's not doing business in these new places. So, and, and what territory is on its way up and what territory is on its way down. So it was actually, you know, in that, in that era, you know, you didn't have any other alternative for information because all the other information was bullshit. So it really was real valuable to, to the wrestlers, the ones that were, you know, I mean, a lot of them weren't open-minded towards it, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but, but a, a lot of them were a lot more than you think. Did, and I know you've had a, bit of a wacky relationship with Vince McMahon over the years. Have other promoters been, I don't know if open is the right word, but have they been willing to help you out a little bit when it comes to some of this information? Uh, pretty much, um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, you know, I, I, I got along with most, really. Um, mm-hmm. no, I mean, I'm trying to think, um, you know, like, uh, put it this way. I got along with most, but the ones that were real cons or, or, um, the ones who were the who were real cons were, were, were tougher because mm-hmm. I didn't really like put up with them. I didn't want to put up with them. So, you know, mm-hmm. I saw, I, I don't want to say I saw through them, but I didn't really want to put up with them. So that was that. So yeah, those were the ones I probably didn't get along with or the ones that were the, you know, real low rent cons. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Jim Cornette uh, helped come up with the star rating system way back when. Um, and for the most part, when people think of a wrestling star rating, they think of your ratings. Looking back, do you ever rewatch matches and wonder how you gave it the rating you did, whether it be a really good rating or a really bad rating? And Never. The... Okay. Number one, I don't really go back because I don't have time to go back. But number two, I wouldn't because if I did... It would break my heart because if I were to watch something and think it was either better or worse, that would tell me that I'm out of touch because mm-hmm. you can't view, you cannot view pro wrestling outside of its context mm-hmm. and outside of its time frame and have a full understanding of what it is. And I like to think that if I go back, I can put myself back and like if I watch a match from 1985, I'm, my memory is good enough to put myself into 1985, so I'm mm-hmm. rating it as 1985. But if I would be wrong and I would like start looking at it like it's 1995 or 2010 and think it was better or worse, that would mean that I'm I am no longer able to watch that era. So 
I mean, I haven't really tried that, but it's just, it's not, it's not worth it. I don't think people realize, I mean, sometimes like people like think that, you know, you watch a match like from 30 years ago and go, oh, it wasn't really that good. Or it was like, oh, this match was really good. And it's like, unless you were watching at the time and you understand the context, you, you, there's not a universal. I mean, you can watch the crowd and kind of get, if you can kind of get the crowd and feel the crowd to a degree, mm-hmm. but unless you know what the style was, you can't really, um, you can't really rate a match. Like if I watch a match from the fifties, okay, which I, I do do, um, mm-hmm. because if like somebody, you know, something happens because that's, if someone dies or something and I have to write about him, I do watch old matches of those people, but I'm, I'm smart enough to know that if I watch it and I, and, and, um, I'm not entertained by it or a certain way, or I don't get it. It's not because they're not good. It's because I don't know the era. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I'm trying to, learn about the era or, or watch it but you really unless you really know the era you can't rate it and every year is di- every era every time and every place is different too you know it's mm-hmm. like a match that's great in mexico um you put the same match on in the united states it's not such a great match mm-hmm. i just hope that in 30 years of not looking back at last week's nxt and going wow eva maria's was so great <laughs> well i don't think that you're going to come up with that <laughs> but uh... knock on wood but I mean, it's funny because I watched um, I watched stuff that was that, that was atrocious in its time, um, mm-hmm. but now isn't as atrocious, mm-hmm. uh, which kind of tells me that there's certain standards that are lower. But also, sometimes you stuff you watch stuff that was great in its time; it doesn't seem so great. I, mean, I, I can, you know, I, I did when when Buddy Roberts passed away. I remember I watched a match of the year, the Freebirds and the Von Erichs, and the heat was like off the charts. I mean, it was mm-hmm. the heat was incredible. But like from a technical standpoint, by modern standards, the match wasn't really that good. But it was phenomenal at the time because that wasn't really what the deal was. The deal was, the deal was excitement, and they, you know, the crowd was absolutely, you know, like way hotter than anything you would ever see now. So in that sense, it was working for what it was. But if you put that same match with the, the um, lack of smoothness would be the word. It wasn't mm-hmm. like a lack of cooperation; it was lack of smoothness. You put that lack of smoothness now to, to an audience today, they would say, "Hey." It's like uh, these guys aren't even good workers, but they, but you know, Buddy Roberts and Terry Gordy were great workers. It's just mm-hmm. a different. It's just a different. They were working for a different goal. Um, now, back in the day, you traveled to a lot of different shows. Um, was there any rhyme or reason, or you just wanted to go see a certain show live, no matter how far you may have had to go to see it? Um, yeah, it just went to where I wanted to go, or sometimes, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. It was big. Mm-hmm. I wish that I did that. You know, I wish I did that years earlier or would have been able to because it would have been – I would have had way, way, way more fun if I had the money I had in the 80s and the 70s, but I was only a kid then. Because mm-hmm. the 70s, there were – you know, if you look back at the lineups of, of, of these places, if you know, like sometimes I'll put on Twitter from this guy Seth Hansen, he'll put these cards up. And sometimes, you know, you like on this day and whatever, and you look at like Houston, Texas or Tampa mm-hmm. or Greensboro or something, and you look at the lineup or Atlanta, and I would just look at those lineups and just go, man, I wish I could have gone to those shows. You know, by the time I was going, the territories were dying, so I didn't really, I didn't see a lot of the territories live. I really mm-hmm. didn't. I mean, I saw, you know, WCW and Jim Crockett Promotions. I would go out east to see that, um, and I would go to Mexico and I would go to Japan. But, but I didn't. I never went to the Omni when the Omni was big. I went to Greensboro when, you know, still when Greensboro was big, but, but um, at the latter stages of it, I never went to Florida when Florida was 
big, except as a young kid, because my grandmother lived in Miami Beach, so I did go, we did go there for Christmas a lot, and so I did see a lot of shows in Miami, but never Tampa. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm trying to think of the other territories, uh, but yeah, um, the Garden, I I never went to the Garden, mm-hmm. um, but because when I was, you know, I, yeah, I never went to the Garden, but the, uh, um, I went to L.A., I went to the Olympic in L.A., you know, from, you know, a couple times a year, and uh, Cow Palace in San Jose mostly. Um, I was reading some old observers from around the time of the first WrestleMania, and you seemed angry almost that the WWF was getting so much media attention and that they were uh, the focus point of wrestling, even though, at least as a match quality, they weren't nearly as high as anywhere else. Is that a safe assumption to say that you weren't thrilled with how uh, everyone was focusing all their attention on New York? To a degree, um, I, I think I was more just disappointed in the media. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really mad. I mean, I just thought that, like, if you're doing your job, you would know that there's wrestling all over the world. And it was like the idea that wrestling suddenly got popular in 1984. It's like I was watching 1983, and it was pop. Wrestling was hot in 1983. I mean, you look at the AWA and um, the Carolinas. And um, so, I mean, some, not every place was hot. But but um, Mid South Wrestling was super hot in eighty. Well, for some eighty three. I mean, at the end of eighty three they weren't, but they picked up again in eighty four. But um, there were there were uh, Dallas was freaking hot as hell. So I mean, there's like these places that were were on fire. And then you know Vince brought in Cindy Lauper and got a lot of attention. And it's like oh my god. And WWF was hot. WWF mm-hmm. has been hot for years. I mean, so, and and it's like oh my god, wrestling selling at Madison Square Garden. It's like. <laughs> Jeez, I mean, wrestling's been selling at Madison Square Garden since Baraka. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it was it was just kind of like learn learn. You know, if you're gonna write about it, you know, don't take a shallow view. But it's like it, that was the story. The story was that because of Cindy Lauper, people are going to wrestling matches. And it's like, well, a year before wrestling was on fire, so I don't think Cindy Lauper was the reason. But Cindy Lauper got the mainstream attention. I was never against them using her. I just mm-hmm. thought them using her was a great idea. I was more. It was more negative on on the reporting being. Um, uh, lazy reporting, I guess. Okay. Or, you know, bad reporting. Um, how hard was it to start a family when you were, when you had to spend so much time working? Um, very, ta- very difficult, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there are two bits of criticism that I always see people say about you, and I just wanted to get your opinions on both quickly. Uh, the first being that you, uh greatly favor Japanese wrestling and will always rate their matches much higher than American matches. Yeah, actually it's the opposite because, um, but I mean, I, I probably, I mean, I do like the style of New Japan without a doubt. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it is probably one of my favorite styles, but I remember, um, there was one night where we had some friends over and we were watching a, uh, a show, a WWE, we actually watched WWE show and then we watched a New Japan show right after. Mm-hmm. And there was a match I had actually watched the New Japan match, um, but, but okay, there was there was a a match on the WWE show that I you know we you know me and my friends were, we always do do the star ratings afterwards and I said four and and it was like okay and then afterwards I said you know that there was a a New Japan match it was with with AJ as a matter of fact mm-hmm. so that would give you what it was and I said I gave that match four you know earlier today and they go well, let's watch it after so we watched it afterwards and it was they were just going like. Jesus Christ, this match is twice as good as the WWF match that you gave four to. So I realized that I kind of, 
you kind of get caught in a standard of what they do, and when the standard of what they do is high, it's 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 actually harder, not easier. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that happen many times where if I watch like a if I watch like a a, a Japanese match um, after you know after like a WWE match that I rated similarly, I always think, God, I'm so stupid. The, the Japanese match is much better. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think that it's actually, I think that we, we, the, the criticism is usually from, because if you ever notice the people who really watch a lot of Japanese wrestling are the ones who don't do, don't ever say that. Oh yeah. And, and, and the reason is I think it's because there's two, there's, there's two things. Number one is I think that there's, there's some people who, who, you know, because it's not their thing, they're just going to be negative towards it in the sense of, mm-hmm. oh, it's, it's, you know, why it's giving these Japanese matches big ratings without, you know, but they don't watch it, so they don't know it. And the other one is if you don't really know what they're doing and their goals and you're not watching it, you know, you don't have know their storylines and you just watch something cold, you're not, it's not going to be as good because you don't really know it. But if you, the people who watch like New Japan regularly, um, I mean, if you looked at like, um, what was it, uh, the, the thing where uh, they had they had the one guy was rating uh, me and Alan Conan oh. and a couple of other guys and it was like our ratings were like usually on almost every match within a quarter of a star on mm-hmm. almost with, with no matter what promotion it was and I thought that was really interesting and they, and they use and and they, when they did it their Japanese numbers were slightly higher than mine mm-hmm. so you know and I'm not saying that they're wrong or I'm right I'm just saying that I I, I actually believe that. Um, um, you know, when I have tested it out, I believe I underrate the Japanese matches slightly because the standard is a little bit higher, and so it takes more to impress you when you're watching a New Japan show than when you're watching a, a WWE show or a TNA show. Like after the last two years of New Japan, I've been finding a lot of these shows lately. Like I'm going into them like, okay, it's similar matches to what I've already seen, and then I leave it. I'm like, oh my god, that was great. Opinion on that last uh, that last pay per view that they did the November show? Yeah, I was like not even excited about the lineup at all. The one with um, Nakamura and Carl Anderson. Mm-hmm. I was like that day. I was like, uh, you know, I'm gonna watch because it was on like from midnight to four. I go, I'll I'll watch it, but you know what? At two, I'm probably gonna go to bed. Mm-hmm. And I stayed up till four, and I was like wired at four because it it really was great. Right. So um, yeah, they, I mean the actual. I mean when it comes to like technical work. Americans, as a general rule, obviously there's exceptions, and it's because they spend it's it's, it's what you spend your time doing in a sense mm-hmm. of you you Americans it's, and there's nothing wrong with it. Our our wrestling is different than their wrestling. That our wrestling is you've got to, you've got to practice your promos. You've got to practice a lot of different things. There's a lot more having to do with your um, um, cosmetic look. So you got to spend more time on getting the look. So um, you know, it's 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 so so that you're you're dividing your time. I, it's almost like um, you're dividing your time in different things. Whereas in Japan, it's really more about the the match. Mm-hmm. So they're really good at doing the match when they have the opportunity. And also, there's a there's also a thing which isn't necessarily good with a lot of the Japanese guys in the sense that and some there are Americans like this too, but the Japanese I think are are are, are worse in some ways in the sense that they will kill themselves to have. You know, a good match like an Ishii or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. it's like which, which in our country, um, you just don't really see a lot of Ishis, and I, I, I don't necessarily think that that's a. <laughs> yeah, I like I like watching Ishis phenomenal, but I, I, it is part of me that kind of cringes when I watch Ishii as well. I also I also love watching Toro Yano just because I find him so entertaining and so funny that 
throughout like an eight or nine match super serious show. Then I get Toroyano somewhere in the middle that brings it down. I'm like, ah, that was a nice breather. Now time for the rest. Well, here's the thing. I would never want to see a card full of Toroyano matches at all. Oh, no, not a card full. But, you know. but you want different. You, you know, if you had like a, an eight match show and everyone is technically really, really great, but they all work the same style. It's it's really tough for the guys to come out at the end because mm-hmm. it's like they've, they've already seen that style. That's why, like, one of the things about New Japan that I, you know, a weakness of WWE is they teach everyone the same style. Mm-hmm. The strength of New Japan is is that they, um, you know, every one of those guys has different fingerprints. You know, it's like it's like Tanahashi has a certain style match, Nakamura has a certain style match, but they're not the same. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Okada. You know, so I think that that's one of the you know. It, it, and I, I like that. And you'll have your Lucha Libre match, and you'll have your junior heavyweight tag team match and things like that. So in WWE, it's like so many of those match styles, they'll just go, oh, this isn't good. And it's like, actually, it is because you want different stuff. But mm-hmm. they only want one one style. And so that's kind of, um, you know, I, I think that's why, you know, like, again, when you talk about, you know, I, I'll watch a four-hour New Japan show, and it's not too long. I'll watch a three-hour WWE show, and it's way too long. Right. Um, the other criticism I hear a lot is, and I'm sure you hear this a lot too in your inbox, why does the Wrestling Observer cover mixed martial arts? Well, you know, because it always has. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, you know what I mean? It's like kind of kind of stupid. It'd be really stupid at this point not to, given that, uh, you know, the, you know, as far as like, like on the website, just an example. I mean, generally speaking, the number one uh, red thing will be the WWE pay-per-view and the number two red thing will be the UFC pay-per-view every month. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's like if you argue is, is and, and if you look at the Observer, there's way more coverage of WWE than there is of UFC. But oh. there's more coverage of UFC than anybody else and that's because there's way more interest. I mean, you're trying to tell me that I should cover, I should cover um, TNA or Ring of Honor more than UFC? That's like ludicrous. You know what I mean? The, the very mm-hmm. idea to me is like ridiculous. It's like, the number, you know, it's like the number one thing I cover is WWE, and the number two thing is UFC, and whatever is number three, which is probably New Japan right now, yeah. is a very distant number three. I mean, the Tokyo Dome did one third. Well, you know, we had the same, um, you know, the in January, just a perfect example. January we had Royal Rumble, we had the Tokyo Dome, and we had um, uh, the the the, um, the John Jones fight with Daniel Cormier. Mm-hmm. So our traffic, the Jones and the, the Jones fight and the Rumble were virtually identical, which actually surprised me because I thought that the Rumble would be bigger, but they were identical. And the Tokyo Dome was one-third. So it's like the Tokyo Dome, which to me, in some ways, you could say was the biggest because it's New Japan's biggest show of the year. The Rumble's the number two. Mm -hmm. And the Jones fight, you know, which was huge at the time, but still wasn't. It's still only one-two. It's the third biggest show the UFC's done this year. But um, it's it's essentially... um, that just tells you, like, no matter what, I mean, even the Tokyo Dome with Jim Ross and live on pay-per-view and all that, I mean, it, it's still only one-third of what the other two are, you know, and, and, yeah. and so that's what you got to go by, and, and there's nobody else. I mean, who else is there? To, you know, it's like, I mean, I'm a fan of PWG. I love PWG shows. They're great, mm-hmm. but, you know, I'll get criticized from people for covering that at all, and it's like, and that's like, the one thing about that is, is that that's where you're... What, what, what PWG is, what's important to me is, is that that's where you see so many of these guys um, at a high level for the first time. Like, you know, like the first time I saw Speedball Mike Bailey and guys like that that are going to be your next 
you know, your next group of stars or Ricochet who's, you know, I mean, he already is a superstar, in, in, mm. but he's not in the sense, you know. Yeah. Um, but like the guys that are going to be the next stars in wherever, they're going to be, they're going to probably be in PWG before you see them anywhere else. You know, when I'm kind of changing the subject there a little bit, I remember when Seth Rollins was brought up to the main roster, he came in as a shield and all I ever thought was, when they break the shield up, they are never giving him a shot. He's going to be Justin Gabriel's tag team partner, and he's just going to flounder. And, you know, he's one of those guys I expected to be in PWG a couple years after the shield broke up because I figured they'd never do anything with him. And, you know, great for him, bad about the injury, but great for him that he did more than that. Well, he had a couple of things going for him. Number one, he got a body. Mm-hmm. And they're in love with bodies, and he's a good-looking guy, and they're in love with looks. And he's an absolutely phenomenal wrestler, and he improved his interviews. So, I mean, he's he's a total package. Mm-hmm. So, and 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 um, you know, I mean, he he still he got the push, but their guy was Roman, and he still mm-hmm. is. Right. And Ambrose is just the one who ended up being the odd man out. Who's and I mean, he's doing well as well. He's doing well, but but he was never the the guy. Um, and again, Seth, you know, we got to remember with Seth. The only reason Seth got the champ, Seth, Seth was going to get a push anyway, and because he, yeah. he, he's great. But the only reason Seth got the championship was because they knew they couldn't give it to Roman on that night, and they had to make that a call an audible. If if there was no Daniel Bryan showing up and they didn't screw up that, then Roman would have been the champion, and the Seth thing never would have happened. So it just mm-hmm. you know things happen um, that you know nobody predicts. Mm-hmm. Um. Does it bother you when wrestlers or promoters criticize you or claim that you're full of it when you report a story, especially when you know 100% the story is true? No, no, that doesn't bother me at all. But, but what bothers me what bothers me is a story where I am told by someone who's a good source, and then I print it, and then somebody else will deny it. And then nine times out of ten, it turns out that it was right the first time. But I'm not, you know, it's like, because you never know. I'm thinking like, well, maybe, like not that the person who told me lied. Sometimes they could, Mm -hmm. but it's, but like maybe it's the wrong story. I mean, like the the one with Del Rio, like that bothered me because, you know, they were so adamant. But now, you know, now that I know and that, you know, who was telling the truth, now it doesn't bother me at all. Because, you know, it's like, now, I mean, I, I know why people lie, and it's like, I, I, I get why they're lying, but, you know, I know they're liars, so that's, that's fine. Hmm. Uh, when Eric Bischoff's book came out, I remember he, I don't know if he blasted you, but he said some not very kind things about you, and the does that do anything, or just, you know, whatever, it was a WWE book, and... I, 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 you know... Hmm. I, I just, I, I mean, all I know is, is that the <laughs> most of the pretty honest people in wrestling I seem to get along really good with, and the really dishonest people I really sometimes or seem not to, and the failures I sometimes seem not to. Mm-hmm. So that put kind of Eric in that position, I guess, when I when it all was said and done. Is I mean, you know, I mean, Eric, Eric, you know. Eric's got a really bad memory, and I mean, and that's from friends of his, friends of his have told me because I go like, is he this big of a liar? He's a bad memory. And it's like, you know, he really has a bad memory. He can lie. Don't get you don't get me wrong, 
But it's more that he's got the bad memory. So that's fine. Because I would read the book and he would say, like, just as an example, oh, you know, Meltzer said that, like, um, the, uh, what was the deal? The, um, the original Nitro at, um, uh, Mall of America, like, he, you know, he said it was a bad idea, it wasn't good, and this and that. And it's like, okay, I mean, I, he may remember it that way, okay? Mm -hmm. I remember long before anyone knew about the Mall of America idea, Zane Breslot came to me and just goes, you know, we're going to put Nitro at Mall of America, and he was, you know, he was telling me about Mall of America, and I knew what it was anyway. And I said, that's a great idea. You know, don't put it in the normal setting. You want to do something different? I, I thought the idea was awesome. Mm -hmm. And the fact is, is that Breslau, um in every commercial break on that first Nitro, was calling me to you know, and basically to feed Eric, it was Dave, think of it. And after, I, the first Nitro was a great show. You had Liger and Pillman and Hogan and Bossman, and the whole thing was a new concept. And I loved the sh I loved the original, I loved the first Nitro. I didn't love every Nitro, but I loved the first one. And he's like, oh, he hated the first Nitro. And she's like, you know, you know, you were on the phone with Breslov after, you know, you know, you know what I did. So, well, he hasn't, but he didn't remember. Or he's a liar, I don't know which. So, so, but once I saw, like, stuff like that, and it was all over the book like that, it was just like, uh, you know, either he's, is he, is he thinking that it's going to win brownie points with Vince because it's a WWE book? Is his memory shot? Is he just a liar? Is he just bitter and trying to downgrade me? Whatever it was, none of that bothered me because I, none of those were, you know, it was so, so much false that it was kind of like, okay, you know, I mean, he's, you know, if he's got a bad memory, he's got a bad memory. If he's trying to kiss up to Vince, why should that bother me? You know what I mean? Uh, it's like, you know, a lot of people do that. You know, they think that that's how you kiss up to, everyone kisses up to Vince. You know, I, I just, you know, and I get, I get why people do it. I think, um, you know, I wish people when they did their books wouldn't have to kiss up to Vince, but I know, I know why they feel like they have to. Mm -hmm. Uh, what show was harder to get through? WCW Thunder or TNA Impact at its worst? No, WCW Thunder was horrible. TNA was never as bad as WCW ever. I mean, TNA was just, they didn't have the money and, um, you know, mm -hmm. and then they had some periods where they were pretty bad too, but, um, I think the early, actually some of the early uh, Impact stuff was, was pretty bad. Mm -hmm. They were it's when they were still in Nashville when I watched those pay-per-views. I mean, some of it was, you know, they, when they didn't really figure out what they were and they were trying to be a million different things and, and just do shock TV. They were they were pretty bad. But I don't think anything was as bad as, I don't think I ever saw anything on a big-time level as bad as WCW. I mean, that was like pure incompetence. I mean, that was, those guys should, you know, they should have ruled wrestling. They Nobody ever had, I mean, you're owned by a, you're owned by a major TV company, you know, not a minor TV company. You're owned by a major giant TV company. I mean, that's like, that's like, that's half the battle right there is you, mm -hmm. you've got TV and you've got money to produce TV. Um, you know what I mean? It's oh. like, it's like you, you, and, and when they were there, you know, when they first were, when they were hot in the late nineties, nobody ever had more talent than they did. And nobody ever squandered more talent than they did. Mm -hmm. But, they were, you know, they were really, you know, again, maybe that's why Eric doesn't like me because they were really incompetent at a different level from everybody else. I, I can understand why Eric kept Hogan for as long as he did, even though as a fan, I hated it, but I could have lived without the, it seemed every Thunder, he had the really long Kendall Windham match, the really long Mike Enos match, the Jerry Flynn match. And I was always thinking, why are these people all over television? They have to, they had to build TV and, you know, uh, the, the, the problem, you know, they, they, 
they, they were producing too much television. I mean, it's the same thing with WWE now when you watch it. But WWE is not, they're not incompetent. They're, they're some, sometimes they're very boring. But, mm-hmm. but you know, it's like when I watch it, I don't feel like, oh, my God, you know, this stuff is just like crap that's running people off. It's, it's, sometimes they'll run people off by boredom. Mm-hmm. But, but WCW, I mean, you watch those, those last couple of years and the way their numbers declined. It was because they ran their, they ran their fan base off. They, it was, you know, and, and, you know, I mean, nobody's ever, I've never seen anyone collapse. I mean, Burn collapsed, but, you know, Burn collapsed because, you know what I mean? It's like, the time, I don't want to say time passed him by, it did. But Burn collapsed because he, he couldn't afford to compete with Crockett and he couldn't afford to compete with Vince. So he collapsed. TBS, mm-hmm. they didn't collapse because they couldn't afford. You know, they had they, they had the backing. They collapsed because they were totally incompetent. Mm-hmm. Um, how did the Yada show get going? Um, I knew Bob Myrowitz from UFC, and he was starting a network, and he wanted a, a pro wrestling show on the network. He thought that would be a good idea, so he came to me, and that's what happened. And I remember when he called me, I was just like, you know, he asked me if I would do it. And I said, yes. And when I said it, I thought, I, I, I didn't believe that there was 1% chance it would actually happen. Mm-hmm. I said yes, because I was kind of humoring myself. Um, and I never, and I, I, cause number, I didn't have the time to do it. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, one day, there they are putting the studio together in my house. And we're on the air. <laughs> and it's just like, I never said no. And now I'm doing it. Which ended up being, I mean, it was that was a really, really hard period. But, I mean, in the long run, I guess it was really good because it got Brian going. And in the long run, it's, it's it, it you know, got Brian going on this. And then it led to Brian starting his website, which we probably should have started together right after Iyada, with the benefit of hindsight. But it all worked out for the best. It would have been better had we done it then. But, you know, you live and learn. Um, and then after Iyata went off uh, or closed down, about a year or so later, he went on the sports byline. Uh, was that something where they contacted you or were you or Brian ch- uh, calling around to see if No, that was, was Bob Meyerowitz again oh, wow. when, 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 when Iyata went down. So what happened with Iyata was at the very end, the funding, um, they had like a lot of money for funding, but um, it was just losing too much money and it was just not going to... It wasn't going to make it. So Bob Meyerowitz's idea was, well, I've got all these hosts. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy a, a syndicated radio network all over, you know, over the country. And the price that he was going to have to raise to buy this network was, I believe, $50 million. Okay. So, and we were pretty much, you know, he kept me in the loop on what was going on. And, and you know, I think he got up to about $41 million in commitments for money. Mm-hmm. And so it was like really touch and go. Yada was going to close. We already knew that, but we didn't know if it's going to if Yada was going to close down as a internet radio network, and it was going to either, you know, we we knew when it was and, and the time, but what we never knew until literally the end was we were are we going to move directly to radio, just exactly you know exactly the same, everything the same, just we're on radio and we're not we're on, we'll be on radio and stations. We have national coverage all over the country with a syndicated radio network, or which, which was going to be bigger, which we figured would be bigger than we were, much bigger, or he's not going to raise the money and we're all going to be out of jobs. So what happened was they, he got to 41, he didn't get to 50, he couldn't put it together, so we were done. Mm-hmm. Um, there was The two highest rated shows were mine and a guy named... Um, I think it was Lionel, Lionel, who was an uh, entertainment guy. Yeah. So he got Lionel um, a gig immediately, 
and he worked on getting me a gig, and um, so he, he tried to put together a syndicated network for me, and it just happened to be at the Sports Byline Studios that was going to be the home thing because San Francisco, their studios were the place he wanted to tape it. So, so I started going up there to tape a weekly show with Brian um, at the Sports Byline Studios, but it was for it was for Bob Meyerowitz who was going to then syndicate the show. The problem was is that radio stations were not into uh, buying a syndicated wrestling talk show. I mean, there were a few, but there weren't really that many. And um, and then one of them, which which jumped on immediately, you know, their thing was just like, nobody wants to listen to intelligent people talk wrestling. They wanted, um, they thought that their the wrestling fans were really stupid, so they just thought, this is all wrong. You know, who wants to listen to intelligent people talk wrestling? So, so we lost that one pretty quick. But the point is, he couldn't get enough stations. We had a few. But... Sports Byline loved the fact that we were getting ridiculous numbers of calls and listeners. Um, so they wanted to keep it going, so they asked me to keep doing the show, which I did for several years until, um, I think it was actually until uh, I started with uh, Yahoo. And when it was with Yahoo, it was just like, I can't be doing everything. So um, I said, I'm going to give up this. And Brian was just like, don't give it up. Let me have it. And it's like, okay, take, take it over. So he did. That's just amazing to me that they didn't want intelligent people talking wrestling. It's like, what were they expecting when they bought... They wanted, they wanted um, the old shock jock stuff of, of um, you know, pretending strippers are stripping while we're, watch, while we're in the studio stuff. Because <laughs> they actually replaced us. The, the reason, like, the, the station Sacramento, which ended up, they replaced us with the show that they wanted, which was a show hosted by Don Marie. And that ended up nobody listened to, but they, um, but their station directors, Infinite Wisdom, thought that that's what people would want to, you know, that's what wrestling fans would rather have a show on. Uh, I, I'm trying to wrap my head around that. I just think of, like, you're talking about Hulk Hogan wrestling The Rock, and it's like, oh, by the way, Bambi's in the corner taking her top off. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, when WCW and ECW went out of business in 2001, um, how did that affect your business? Um, it wasn't good, but it wasn't as bad as I expected. I mm-hmm. thought that that was pretty much because I also thought WWE wasn't gonna. Um, I thought w, I knew WWE was gonna go down, which they did, but I thought they would continue to go down, and, and they actually they leveled off. Mm-hmm. You know, because I, I really felt that when 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 ECW and WCW went down, and WWE was super strong at the time, but I remember, um, you know, I, I talked to Heyman a lot, and then he he and I were you know and he, he was really ahead of the curve and on a lot of stuff that would happen and i just remember in in 2000 this you know he was just like um wwe is going to be really hot through wrestlemania 2001 and then it's going down Mm -hmm. it was just like matter of fact and 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 in 2000 i could feel it myself but he said it before i ever thought it but then i realized it and then you know ECW went down, um, this is before ECW um, went out of business and before WCW went out of business, but it was just like, you know, and he was still hoping to stay in business, you know, which for things, things didn't develop the way he hoped for. I mean, he was hoping for USA Network and the idea that, you know, he would get paid by USA Network and he could stay in business, but the top guy at USA Network, um, Barry Diller, uh, at the end of the thing was like, if I'm gonna have, if I'm not gonna have, if I'm not gonna have the number one wrestling company, I don't want wrestling. He got it right to the top and he thought that, um, he could go to WCW because he thought they were going out of business 
not realizing that the TBS, you know, who would, who would have ever thought TBS was not going to want wrestling? That was the one that we never figured on. Yeah. We figured they would want to keep wrestling, and then they hired um, Jamie Kellner, and they didn't want any wrestling. So all of a sudden, Paul had nowhere to go. But anyway, so he he was actually the first one to tell me this. But I figured it out pretty quick, and we all kind of knew, okay, wrestling, you know, WrestleMania 2001 is going to be the biggest show ever, which it was up to that point in time. And then it's going to go straight down. And it did, even with the invasion angle, where I actually thought, okay, we're going to get the big, hot invasion angle. We're going to get a good, you know, nine months. It's going to be pretty strong. And then it's going to go down because Vince is going to screw up the invasion angle, and then it's going to get stale. And um, he actually screwed up the invasion angle far worse than I thought and quicker. But... And, and he did go down, but it leveled off at like a, whatever it was, like in 2005 or so, when yeah. when you know it really was pretty weak. Um, it started, um, you know, he it, it solidified. I think the key was is that um, I mean, the key really actually in what saved wrestling, if you really look at it, was when Spike TV spent uh, paid WWE 28 million a year for Raw. Because Raw was a five million dollar a year thing, so you you, mm-hmm. you know it really you didn't really make that much money. You made a little bit of money on television, but you had to make your money on your pay per views and everything. So, but when Spike was willing to pay twenty eight million, that gave you a little bit of a cushion, and it also set the standard of like this is what it's going to be now. So then the money, you know, as as time went on, you know, started would escalate and escalate and escalate. So it's that TV money that really kept them. Um, with enough money and stuff like that to where they could stay strong and they didn't have to go low budget. And, um, and it, it ultimately, I mean, I think that they, they would have stayed in business anyway at some level, but I think it kept them stronger than I expected. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly from, you know, you know, I mean, it, 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 they didn't go down as much as I thought. But, yeah, but it did, it, it did hurt until, um, no, I shouldn't say that. It was ups and downs. Um, because 2002 was a great, great year for the Observer that I never expected to happen. Mm. Um, and then uh, it was pretty strong. And then uh, you know, once we went, once, once we did the thing with Brian, it got super strong again. So, and it, and it never really, um, yeah, it never really went, went. It never really fell at the at the level I expected it was going to fall. Put it that way, because I, I 2001 I thought it was going to fall pretty bad. Mm. Uh, going back to January 01, it's amazing in hindsight that on the very same weekend ecw ran their last two shows wcw got brought up by fusion and little news story in the back of the observer somewhere uh two casino owners from nevada bought ufc i know isn't it amazing that all happened at the same time it's whole everything it was you know and you gotta remember at that point ufc was not a big deal at all no no ufc was UFC was the one that everybody like in the in the entertainment industry. I remember in um, I'm trying to think the year ninety seven when it was still when UFC was still strong and doing good numbers on pay per view. Mm-hmm. I remember that that you know the cable company started dropping it because of McCain and things like that. And and in the industry it was like okay UFC is going to die. It's just it's it's like it's like the TV industry, not in anybody else's industry, but the TV industry or the pay per view industry was like UFC is going to die. And actually, that helped ECW because ECW got on pay-per-view because the people in the pay-per-view industry thought that we have to make up the revenue for ECW dying, so let's add another property. And it can't be it can't be MMA, which didn't even exist in those terms. Mm-hmm. So what the idea was was if we can get extreme, you know, extreme pro wrestling, uh, we'll take 
the place of ultimate fighting. That's how Paul got on pay-per-view. Because mm. the, these companies knew that there was too much pressure from John McCain to for them to keep airing UFC. So everyone just figured UFC would probably die. And it just kind of struggled along. And it was about to die. Um, and, it, you know, Dan Lambert, who's a, actually a friend of mine from Florida, was the guy who was expected to buy UFC. Because... Um, um, and here's, here's another one, too. Um, mm-hmm. if, if it wasn't for um, if it wasn't for the fact that Bob Meyerowitz owned IATA, there's a chance he'd have bought WCW and not anyone else. Wow. Because when we were we were talking about that. He was going to run. He, he was going to buy. You know, he told me he was going to. You know, he knew it was for sale. He knew the price. He thought that it was a good deal. He thought he could. You know, they were going to stay on TV on TBS before the cancellation. Mm-hmm. And he said. I'd buy it, except I'm all tied up with Iata, so I don't, I, I, you know, can't do another property. This is before Iata was going down, when Iata was still, um, yeah. Iata wasn't dead yet. But he was absolutely, you know, he had talked to me, because I really want to get this. I think that there's money in wrestling and blah, blah, blah. I wanted to fight Vince, or I don't know if he wanted to fight Vince. He wanted to be Vince, maybe. Mm-hmm. But but that's another story, is, is that Bob was absolutely, you know, wanting to buy WCW. So, but anyway, at this point, Bob was giving up on, on UFC. There was, it was just deep in fighting and fighting and losing everywhere. When he couldn't get the, the um, when he went to Nevada, that was the last ditch effort. When we were going to, to Vegas for the hearing and they had enough votes and they were going to get passed. And then one of the commissioners, and I don't know which one it was, switched sides. So it went from like four to three to three to four. So they couldn't get, because the cable companies go, well, you're not a sport, you're not a sport. What, why do you say we're not a sport? It's like, um, how, how do we become a sport? It goes, get sanctioned by the Nevada State Athletic Commissions. Because it, it's like, because everybody thought box, you know, boxing in Nevada commission. So it's like, okay, we'll get sanctioned. Nevada, they went in there and, um, you know, there were the commissioners that studied it for about a year and they were, it was time for the hearing and most of them were very positive, but um, some were negative. And I mean, the funny one is, is, I don't. Lorenzo was on the. Lorenzo Caprida was on the commission. I do not know where Lorenzo stood. I mean, there's the story that Bob Meyerowitz said on television once, or more than once, that Lorenzo was the one who flipped at the last minute and then ended up buying it. Well, I know Lorenzo took action against that and said that it wasn't true. And I don't know because I never. I was there. I know it happened, but I don't know who the guy who flipped was. I do know that one of the guys on the other side who was a strong no was Glenn Carano, who's Gina's father, which is hmm. one of the most amazing stories of all. You know, in the sense that his daughter ended up being like a big star in the sport that he nearly killed. <laughs> but but um, so at that point, so they, it got turned down in Nevada, and they were pretty much done. And Dan Lambert was going to be. Um, Dan Lambert was going to buy it, and then um, Dana, who was managing Tito and Chuck at the time, he found out they were for sale. So he went to Lorenzo, who was his high school friend, and they were they were thinking of starting a boxing promotion. That's what that's what they were going to do. They were going to you know rival um, Don King and Aram. They wanted to fight, get in that fight. And Dana comes up, hey, you know, we could buy this, and it was two million dollars. And, uh, you know, they, they bought it. And, I mean, it's funny because they'll say now everybody thought we were stupid and nobody thought we had a chance. And I thought, I remember thinking that and talking to them and going, like, $2 million for this? That's a steal. The minute you get on – because we knew Lorenzo could get it um, sanctioned in Nevada, 
right? Mm -hmm. He knew everybody. So it's like, the minute you're sanctioned, you're going to be doing these pay-per-view numbers of 100,000 every show, which didn't end up happening, but that's what we thought. Even when, because that's what they did with no TV in the, you know, when, before. You know, you're going to be doing 100,000, 200,000 buys on pay-per-view every month, or whatever was that, then it was going to be four times a year. It's like, $2 million for that? That's a steal. But now the, the history is like, oh man, what a gutsy move, and it was like this move that nobody thought was a smart move. And it's like, I thought that was a really smart move. I mean, it ended up, they ended up losing a ton of money because people weren't buying the pay-per-views like we thought. Yeah. Until they got TV. And then once they got TV, then then they made sick amounts of money. Um, now, what eventually led to the merger between you and Brian in 2008? I was going insane. Um, I went to um, Columbus or Cincinnati, Ohio. I can't remember if it was the night. Anderson Silva bought Dan Henderson. So you mm -hmm. could look up that day. And I know it was in Ohio. And the show was over. And I had been working for um, Yahoo, and my brain was fried, and I couldn't write. I mean, which never happened before. It's like, I cannot write. I am exhausted. I am doing too much. And um, I told Brian, I go, Brian, I'm, I'm doing too much. I can't work this hard. <laughs> what are we going to do? You know, it's like, and I, I kind of suggested it at first. At first, it was like he was kind of like, oh, you know, he had started building his own business. You know, he didn't really need my help. He was doing well. You know, and I was doing well financially, but I just—it was like I—I I either had to quit the Observer, or I had to quit, um, or I had to quit Yahoo. And the Yahoo gig was pretty good, and um, but I and the Yahoo gig was the one I would have quit. But it would—I really didn't want to quit it. It was really mm -hmm. a good gig. It was kind of mainstream for me, which I never had before. You know, so so um, so I talked to him, and then he came back like after we had the discussion, and and I think he thought about it for a little while and thought. You know what? We'll pro our business will probably explode if Dave's with us. <laughs> so he goes, you know, let's do it. And so um, it was a real risk for him, and it was a real risk for me. But we both—it was big risks for both of us. Mm -hmm. But it was kind of like we just did it. We kind of had to. I had to, you know, or, or give up. It was—it was that or give up Yahoo. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to give up Yahoo, so that was the the story behind it. And it ended up, like I said, I wish we did it in 2000. And um, I wish we did it in 2001 when the Yacht folded. When we really would have had the momentum coming off of that show, we would have done phenomenally well, but we didn't. And I really wish that we had done it before 2007 because the Benoit thing was just a killer of all killers and still would have been. But but me doing everything myself for the Observer with no help and the website during the Benoit thing was, was ridiculously hard. And mm -hmm. if, if it would have been now, it would not have been, it would have been ridiculously hard, but it would have been, it wouldn't have been quite as bad. So um, I wish we had done it earlier, but you know, we're doing it now and it's been seven years, seven and a half years, so it's great. Time flies. I actually do have a confession. I never told Brian this, but uh, I'm happy you didn't stop doing The Observer for a big reason, because I used to subscribe to the print edition, and uh, occasionally people would post Brian's TNA review on different websites. And I remember reading them thinking, wow, this guy's a jerk. Like, like TNA's bad, but it's not this bad. But it was like after I subscribed, mostly because I wanted to get my Observer early, I was listening to him and I'm like, I don't know, something about Brian, I could listen to him read the same thing and find him hilarious and be able to say, oh, I agree with him here. But if I read those exact words he's written, I'm like, wow, what a jerk. Mm. And I don't know what it is, but for that, I'm happy with the merger. 
Um, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly happy. It was, it was, um, you know, it allowed me to stay with Yahoo and allows me to, you know, I could never do, I could never do the stuff that I do without mm. that. You know, if I was doing seven updates a week, I mean, my God, that would have been just a killer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, I can't, I cannot even imagine. Um, but uh, were you surprised the New York Times wanted to interview you? Mm, I didn't expect it, but no, I mean, I had Sports Illustrated, you know, which completely botched the story, but Sports Illustrated <laughs> had done before, so anyone, I mean, no, not at all, really. I mean, I didn't, you know, because it's, it's, you know, um, there's a lot, of, no, I wasn't, I wasn't surprised at all. Okay. Uh, we mentioned before you've been to a boatload of shows. Uh, do you have any? Do you have any show you could say is your absolute favorite or least favorite that you've ever been to? I don't know about least favorite. I mean, when I was a kid, I saw a lot of bad shows and good shows. Mm-hmm. Um, um, God, I don't know. I mean, like there's bad pay per views, but um, you know, I mean, everyone knows what they are. You know, like that King of the Ring, the Mabel one. I wasn't at that one. Oh, you know, those kind of shows that everyone knows were really terrible. Yeah. Um, the the um, uh, I'm trying to think. Um, Best show, boy, I've been to some really great shows. The, um, I think for crowd reaction, the best show I ever went to was the first AAA show at the sports arena in Los Angeles okay. with um, Coney and Jake and C.N. Karras. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it was the best wrestling show, but it was a great wrestling show. But for crowd, I mean, you know, that was the one where they turned away 8,000 people at the door and sold out and... and it was an amazing, amazing thing. It's too bad they didn't run that show at the, the Coliseum next door because they had 30,000 people, and it would have been, you know, at that day, time, at that time, it would have been, like, unheard of. It was so, it was so big. Um, but the uh, When Worlds Collide was actually a better show. Mm-hmm. Um, that, was a, that was an excellent show, but I wouldn't say that was the best show I've ever been to, but that was excellent. Um, I don't know... Um, Probably something in Japan. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I kind of think that that 13 promotion show at the Tokyo Dome was, was was awfully great. But I just remember when it was over, it was like, yeah, this is a great show. I, I was going in that day, and I'm going like, this is going to be the best show I've ever seen, and I will ever see in my life. And when it was over, it was like, this is a really great show, but it, it's not the best show I've ever seen in my life. Um, Expectations were too high. It, 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 there was, you know, you know what it was? It was something... Um, it was an all-star show, but it didn't flow right because everybody, you know, every every match was different and all, but it wasn't like built as a show. It was everybody trying to steal a show mm-hmm. as opposed to building a show. It's a different thing. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. The WrestleMania in San Jose, I mean, it wasn't the best show or Santa Clara. That wasn't the best show I ever saw, but it was, that was a pretty impressive, that was very, very impressive to see. Oh. Just um, the way that, you know, from a production standpoint, that was the best. Um I still think that's the best show I've ever been to personally, and yeah, it, it, it was it was really really good because I think that that was better than like a lot of the the shows back in the old days. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you talk about like the stuff in the eighties and stuff, I think that that you know production wise and even wrestling wise, it was it was pretty good. Um, you know, I'm trying to think. It's like in Japan when I think of like like. Um, so I saw the women's the women's show at the Tokyo Dome. The second half of the of that women's show at the Tokyo Dome was was awfully fantastic, mm-hmm. but that show was like ten and a half hours long, 
Budokan shows, but it, it always felt to me like the main events were like really fantastic, but it wasn't um, mm-hmm. up and down the show. New Japan was better, but I can't really like I can't come up with like a New Japan show that I saw live that was like this unbelievable show. Mm-hmm. I always felt like going to the live shows that the the All Japan Women shows were better than the New Japan shows, but I can't come up with like the Tokyo Dome one. one was really the the, the um, I didn't go to the All Star Dream Slam show, whatever year it was, eighty ninety three. Okay. Um, you know, I watched it on tape. I think that like at the time when I watched the tape, I thought, man, I have to not think Nathan can ever top this show. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe it's hard for me to say if it if if you know how it would look now. But at the time, that show was was just ridiculous. But I didn't go to that one live. For me, saying the least favorite show is easy because. My brother and I, for our first WrestleMania, we drove from Pennsylvania to Atlanta to see The Miz versus John Cena in the main event of WrestleMania. And I remember, like, I know why they did it, because The Rock was coming out after, but if Undertaker Triple H went on last and The Miz and Cena was in the middle, I think we would have left that show and still have great memories of how great it was, as opposed to being lackluster and bleh. that show I guess just because um, you know The Rock The Rock did more than I expected and then mm-hmm. it set up that, that real big one the next year mm-hmm. and I mean I even liked 29 more even though it was freezing in that stadium and the first half of that show was just utterly skippable but it was just I still like that better than 27 yeah Um, what's the most asked question you get I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know. I, I don't. I don't have a most asked question that I know of. Okay. Um, present day TNA. Does it feel more like AWA when it was dying, or WCW when it was dying? AWA. Okay. Very much like AWA, actually. Yeah. Do you think this deal with Pop is going to mean anything in the long run? No. Okay. No. No. I just think it's a continuation of what's been happening. I don't see it as. I don't see it as. It's you know. Perhaps, I mean, I always thought they'd, they'd be able to get TV somewhere mm-hmm. for, for free. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think the problem was going to be getting TV that they got paid for. So, so them getting TV doesn't surprise me, but it's, it's again, it's, it's, you know, people think that it is, they're in more homes now, but it's on a station that nobody watches. Yeah. It's on a station that's actually lower rated than the one they were on before. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's actually, it's actually, a, and they're not making money on, on the deal this time. So it's, it's a step down again, you know? And so, yeah, it's not, it's not good, but at least it's better. It's, it's better than nothing. I read it was a time buy. Please tell me that's not true. That's not the case. I think it's, I don't think it's a time buy. Okay. It could be, it could be the last station. The last one there was a time buy. The impression I got is that it's not, but, the, but you know, who knows? They're probably floating it, you know, so desperate because if, if it gets out, it's a time buy. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it makes them look so bad. So I mean, they're you know they're they're trying to you know I'm sure they're trying to you know get people to say it's not a time buy, but I I I, I don't know the deal right now mm-hmm. for sure. But I I know that they're not getting paid anything or you know anything significant if anything at all because mm-hmm. it's on a station that doesn't pay anything for programming and and has no and it's not a station that has much money. Did you ever watch any of Paragon Pro when it was on? Never once. I watched the first episode. And until Tough Enough, that was going to be the worst show of the year to me. And uh, 
People have told me it got better over the months. I just refused to watch anymore because it was just horrendous. Um, but to finish things up, thank you so much for coming on. Um, you've uh, been a pleasure to be on. And uh, before we wrap things up, if you want to plug anything um, that you're up to these days, and of course, including The Observer, now be the best time to do it. Yeah, just wrestlingobserver.com and um, the website. You know, the Observer's out on the you know the thing every week, and I work you know that really really hard on it. I think this was this was actually one of the better issues of the year because of the stories. I mean, with, with mm-hmm. Nick Bockwinkle and the Ronda Rousey fight and the TNA TV deal and everything that was in there. You know, um, it's funny. <laughs> I think it's like funny because it, it, in in you know, like the, all the stories that broke this week, it was like they were already in the Observer. You know, and Sombra <laughs> and who TNA was talking to, and and everything else. You know, that kind of lucked into that. I didn't know. I didn't know that TNA was going to make their announcement that quick, mm-hmm. um, and I didn't know Sombra was going to show up so quick. But I knew he was going. Um, you know, which is um, we'll see with Sombra. You know, I mean, Sombra's like the the, the epitome of the stuff that they botch, but mm-hmm. maybe, maybe in his case they won't. I always laugh that the Observer goes up, and an hour later, all these big news stories break on the internet. I'm like, huh? You know, every every Wednesday is like Newsday on the internet. I mean, it's it's it, it is it is kind of funny, and and half the time they don't even like they it's it's like it's it's they get it wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, it's it's like it's like the whole thing with TNA and all those TNA fans are like, you know, you said that it was going out of business, and you said this and this, and it's like I never said they were going out of business. I said that they were going, that they that the management of the station sent out a memo that they were canceling them, which they did. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone knew they did. I mean, that's the thing. Mm. You know, it's like I I I, I will say this because I actually do want to tell the story. Okay. I I it, it's impossible for me to have any respect for TNA because oh. of the whole situation because I had you know I had asked Dixie for a comment um, before you know long before the that that story broke about you know the, them getting canceled and everything like that mm-hmm. and you know no response no response and before I printed it Bob Ryder starts on the Dave Meltzer's this and this and this so Dixie told Bob Ryder you know you know no, you got to discredit him before the story comes out, and and so that's that was the the deal. So then the story comes out. And it's like, see, we told you, and it's just like because um, she knew, and that's. I mean, I guess you could probably say it's kind of brilliant in their own way, but you know, for me, it was kind of you know they're them you know and all those people going like you know he's making up. I mean, they they, they knew I was right. Yeah. You know, I mean they they you know of course they knew. I mean, and it, it, but it's just like, you know, it's like I had. I don't want to say I had done them a favor. I mean, I could have written the story and said, you know, I'm not even called Dixie and just done it, you know. Mm-hmm. And and there was, you know, people in TNA who there were there were people in TNA who knew about it and they were just going like, you know, I don't know why you need to even, you know, be nice to her. And it's like, ah, you know, whatever. And then it's like, um, you know, now I would now I would say screw it. You know, it's just like you know you had you know you had your chance and and you know you played your game and it's like you can only play the game once. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't no one deserves favors now. I remember you posted that Observer where the news broke during the NXT TakeOver show. And I don't even remember what match was on because I couldn't even watch it because I'm like, oh my god. this I'm, I'm not reading this right, right? It's, that's, it's five months into the deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just... Well, they, they, were, they were talking about canceling it. I'll tell you when, if you remember when they started slicing all the replays. Yeah. 
and that was very quick. That was probably you know a month. You know, it was less than two months in. It was probably a month in when they started uh, cutting back on the programming, and it's like they were already thought, oh, we're paying way too much for this. I think they thought. I think that they they thought they were going to be getting like a you know I don't want to say a million viewers a week mm-hmm. um, because you know you, you they were getting a million plus on Spike but you know you were in in a far less homes but yeah. I think that they were probably thinking that they were going to get like you know seven eight hundred thousand a week mm-hmm. and you know when they didn't you know I think that that's when Destination America was just like you know because the one thing TNA had the rep for on Spike was that you know you could put TNA on Thanksgiving night when they were on Thursdays and they would still draw you could put them on New Year's Eve and they would still draw you could put them against you know like the uh, you know NCAA basketball finals it was like they had this core audience I mean it wasn't it wasn't me like WWE you know if they go against something big they get they get hammered yeah um, TNA like you would go like I, I remember like there'd be like some big sports event we go oh man teenage getting hammered and they would they would be down a little but it wasn't really that much mm-hmm. or thanksgiving night you know you put wwe on thanksgiving night and they're getting killed tna was like they were barely down on those thursdays like this year when wwe runs smackdown on thanksgiving night i'll bet you i'll bet you it gets freaking destroyed tna would, would, would do great you know, I mean, not great, but they would, they'd be down like, you know, only like 5%. It's like, so I think the feeling was is that teenagers doesn't have a big audience, but man, they're loyal and yeah. they're all going to, you know, but they didn't come, you know, when they lost Spike. And that was the big surprise to, to everyone. And so mm-hmm. that's where Destination American TNA thing um, really started falling apart because the assumption, and I would have made the same assumption, um, it just didn't. The people, there were a lot of people who just, when TNA left Spike, who just decided that. I guess TNA is dead. They either didn't know they were on Destination America or they, whatever reason, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? They just thought it's, it's my t- the TV show got canceled. Destination America was like three or four tiers of an upgrade higher than what I had. And I remember, as they said, they were in 55 million homes. And I don't know if we ever got the answer. Was it 55 million potential homes or was it 55 million that actually physically had the channel? I heard 57 million have the channel. Okay. Uh, yeah. So that's, I guess, slightly better. And I remember thinking they'd do half a million viewers and be a good week. And have they ever done half a million on Destiny? Um, they did. They, I think they did when they started. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. You know, when they first started the first couple times. Because they did, they did, um, they did okay at first. But, but it was, it, you know, it, it's, it's, it hasn't been a, it's been up and down and up and down. It hasn't been like a steady fall, but it's been a, you know, it's been a fall. I mean, like obviously last mm-hmm. Thursday. Uh, yesterday or, or, or Wednesday show when the ratings came out yesterday, um, you know that was by far the lowest they've ever done. Yeah. So it's been it's trajecting downward and it's been constantly. And the only two shows I remember going out of my way to watch this year, and there may be a third one I can't think of, was the EC3 Rockstar Spud Hair versus Hair match, and then I think the very next week was the first Kurt Angle Bobby Lashley match. Those were the only two that I went out of my way to make sure to watch. All the UK shows were great. Mm-hmm. But once they got out of the UK, it, it looked like a different company. When I watched the UK shows, I thought, man, they, they need to just be the UK promotion. I mean, those UK fans, I think those UK fans want um, their own company. And I think they'll support their own company. And TNA could have been their company and, and, and made Magnus the champion. Um you know, I mean, cause Matt, I'm not saying Magnus is like a world champion, but he mm-hmm. he looks the part. He can talk the part. And if you're in, if, if you're a British promotion, he's your top baby face. I, I think that you know a guy like him could work out pretty good going against you know American, you know, all kinds of heels. Mm-hmm. So I 
know, that's how I would have done it, but I don't know that the economics worked out. I mean, I've asked people, and some people, some people in the company said that they thought it could work, and others said they didn't think it could work, but they didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew that they could, they would never be big in this country at this point. I mean, the chance, they, they, there were times they had the chance, and I don't know if it ever could have fully worked. What I think could have worked, I think that, I, I will say this, I believe that they never would have been really big on television, no matter what, um, you know, much bigger than they are. But I do believe strongly that they could have been a much bigger pay-per-view promotion and a bigger house show promotion they were if they had a reputation for being the in-cool thing like, like Heyman got or like NXT has now. Like mm-hmm. NXT, if you put NXT on television, this ratings wouldn't be any good. But, you know, I mean, they're really hot and they can sell tickets. And, and um, you know, if they were on... If they did a big NXT pay-per-view, it would it would do okay, and and it would probably start growing based on word of mouth. If they kept having like really good shows, and TNA, I mean, you know, you got to remember that they were doing forty thousand buys on pay-per-view when they first started on pay-per-view, mm-hmm. just based on the idea that they were doing better pay-per-views than the WWF was, WWE was at the time. So you can do it, um, but when they start getting when when the rep for having great pay-per-views ended and they no longer had great pay-per-views. Um, you know, then they they had they lost their niche, and then you know, I mean, the thing is, is like when they were doing you know doing those numbers on Spike. I mean, the big thing that that was a big fascinating thing about TNA is how do you have so many viewers and so few people buy your pay per views? That's mm-hmm. because you you know the rep was your paper. You know, you your pay per views either sucked or your pay per views weren't compelling as far as the build up went, and that's where they killed themselves because. You know, I mean, Paul Paul Heyman never had the viewership that they had. Mm-hmm. Um, he had close, but never quite the viewership that they had. And you know, Paul was able to do between forty thousand and hundred thousand buys on pay per view with with less audience than they were doing eight thousand buys with. So it was like that's where they that's where they screwed up was the inability to to produce content that people wanted to buy. Essentially. I remember the last... I used to buy all the monthly pay-per-views from TNA and WWE. The last TNA pay-per-view I bought when I was buying them every single month was that horrible show with the electrified steel cage with 3D and LAX. Yeah. That was it for me. Yeah, they, they, they... You know, I just remember when they had, like, America's Most Wanted and Christopher Daniels... What was it? Triple X? Yeah. And... Um, you know, um, a lot of those guys, the X, they had this really great X division matches with AJ Styles and Jerry Lynn and people like that. They, they had, uh, you know, those shows were great shows, mm-hmm. but they didn't keep it up. And mm-hmm. the, what, what it was, was I think that the, the problem there was when they lost, when they lost the more, because what happened was the more had a really good eye for what guys you could put against each other that would have an exciting match. Mm-hmm. And Russo and Eric Bischoff had no clue. They had no clue whatsoever of, of that. You know, mm-hmm. like they, they, and so they would put together matches that weren't that good and they didn't care because, you know, Bischoff and, and Russo's both their mentality is, is that the match probably doesn't matter. And, and it really usually doesn't, but for a niche product like TNA, you know, it's like PWG. If PWG had shitty matches, they'd be dead, right? Yeah. But but it's only it, it's niches that they have good matches. TNA's niche could have been good matches, but they had people who were running it who didn't know what a good match was mm-hmm. and didn't think it was important. So they killed. You know they're out there being desperate for hot shotting ratings and not realizing that you know by 
that mentality essentially, you know, and especially also the other thing they did was because their mentality was, oh, if we get the ratings up first, you know, it, it makes sense, but in wrestling it doesn't work that way. So they would give, they would do an angle on pay-per-view or you'd buy a pay-per-view main event and then they would blow it off for free. And, so, and you kind of think, why am I buying this when the blow-off is on TV two weeks later for free? So by doing that, they killed their pay-per-view business. And, you know, that was, you know, and the fact that they didn't know how to produce good pay-per-views. Um, one last thing before I go. I know NXT, of course, gets all the big buzz these days. But I still say to this day, NXT Redemption in 2011 and 2012, when nobody on the planet was watching except for me, was the most entertaining show ever. Just because it was so stupid, it was entertaining. And that's just my opinion. Okay. (laughs) But I just remember the one storyline, Matt Stryker was kidnapped on NXT and then showed up on every single other WWE show, including WrestleMania, while on NXT, he's like, where did that guy go? Where what happened to him? Yeah, and, well, that's that's usually the kiss of death when you start doing stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, again, I want to thank you again so much. This has been really entertaining and really informative, and I know everyone listening feels the same way. Okay, you're very welcome. I appreciate it. All right, uh, thank you again, and have a great night.